and so thank you for being here. If you have your outline, you can uh, follow along tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about various people and events uh, from Revelation chapter 12. But to get us started, kind of, I uh, just uh, uh, want to ask you a few questions and get a little dialogue going. Uh, first of all, what kind of being is Satan? Hmm? He is an angel. He is an angelic being. All right? He is an angelic being. He is a fallen angel. Uh, he was, as most of you know, cast out of heaven uh, because he rebelled against God. And when he, when he did that, and we're going to look at that a little bit tonight, but he took a third of the angels with him. Have you ever wondered how the devil, Satan, Lucifer then, how Lucifer had to convince and what he what he said to convince or what he did to convince a third of the angels to follow him i mean the lies he had to tell you ever ever thought about that i thought what in god's name would would cause someone who lives in a perfect environment with a perfect god you know what would cause an angel to become a devil so he is a fallen angel and, and, and as a fallen angel, please keep in mind that, the, that Satan, Lucifer, is a created being. I try to emphasize over and over that Satan is not an equal of Jesus Christ. All right, He is maybe on the lines of Michael the archangel, but he's a created angel, a fallen angel, uh, not an eternal being. Uh, he has not always existed and let me also add that Satan does not possess the same attributes as God. Uh, you'll call it God, some of his attributes. God is omniscient, he is omnipotent and omnipresent. Omni means all, so omni all science, omniscient, all knowing. He is all, all omnipotent, all powerful, and omnipresent. He is all present everywhere at all times. That's God. Now, Satan is not one of those things. He does not have the same attributes as God. Now, that's just not Brian's opinion. That is God's word. He is not, for example, omnipotent. Satan has been given limited power. He is powerful, but his power is limited. Keep that in mind as we walk through this as well. Uh, he is limited to what God allows. You can read about this, Job 1 and 2, Luke 22, 31 through 32, as well as Revelation. As we come into this, we see that God does give him some power, but it is limited, and it is also limited for a time. And Satan, knowing that his time is short, uh, will in the end times during the tribulation release, uh, release the, the, furry, the fury of, of all hell. I mean, he, he, he's, as we're going to get into this and tonight in the next few weeks, um, he knows his time is short, and he's not going to be silent, and he's going to do all he can to make sure that he deceives as many as he can. Uh, he is not omnipresent, though he appears to have a good network of demons. So we as God's children, uh, keep in mind, are not fighting for victory, but rather we are fighting from victory because Jesus Christ has won the battle. Always keep in mind that even though there's going to be a lot of things going on in the end times, during the seven years of tribulation, especially the last three and a half years, uh, the 1260 days, um, that Satan is a defeated foe. This is why I love reading from, from like chapter 10 on, and as we get into 
the various battles going on and things going on, and it's like, okay, he's a defeated foe, you know. And, and uh, you got to think about it. Jesus Christ came and he had a couple purposes. One was to seek and save the lost. The other was to destroy, to destroy the works of the devil. All right, Lucifer and all angels, all the angels were, think about this, were continually in God's presence. Uh, they had the knowledge of the glory of God. And honestly, they had no excuse for rebelling against God and turning away from him. So how could that happen? Uh, I thank God for the time that we come together when we worship, love Pastor Jim, love his leading of worship, and so I look forward to it. I participate in it. When Pam's worshiping on Wednesday, you know, it's wonderful. But guess what? One of the things that we're taught, I guess, is, is you can be in a perfect environment. You can worship, you can praise, and, 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 and you can still backslide. You don't believe me? Ask Lucifer. All right. Um, so he was in a perfect environment. And so my point, and I put this on Facebook today, I wouldn't want to follow anybody who was in heaven who didn't have enough sense to stay there. Yeah. Amen? I mean, think about it. And, and, and so the big question is, how could a created being, uh, uh, an angelic being, become, you know, created as Lucifer, become the devil? How did it happen? How could someone who at one time resided in a perfect environment called heaven, who was in the very presence of God himself, uh, become a devil. Always keep in mind that God never created a devil. He created an archangel. His name was Lucifer. All right, he was called the son of the morning, or uh, son of the morning, or day star. And so how does an archangel become a devil? I preached on this years ago. Uh, five years ago here, and I've preached on it in different churches, something that's been with me. But what makes a devil out of an angel? Ezekiel 28, 15 says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness, unrighteousness, or iniquity was found in you. What was this iniquity? Verse 17 of Ezekiel 28, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Lucifer apparently became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and the glory that only belonged to God. Just a cross-reference, I want to give you this. I'm not going to go there and read it. But sometime turn to Isaiah 14 and read verses 12 through 15. And you will find what I call the five I wills of Lucifer. All right? And so really the sin that corrupted Lucifer was self-generated pride. Pride. And so really back to the question, what makes the devil out of an angel? Pride. Arrogance. Rebellion. Selfishness. Wanting attention. Want, you know, being greedy. Really wanting to take God's Place. You know, I will lift myself up like the most high. And so basically, if we put it in one word, it's the word choice, two words, free will. God has given evidently angelic beings the, the power of choice or free will to make some decisions and choices then. Uh, and so uh, why did he fall from heaven? He fell because of pride. He desired to be God, not to be a servant of God. He did not want to submit to the way God created him. I mean, there's so many sermons here that I could go off in so many directions. But his problem was not so much that he wanted to be like God, 
this problem was he wanted to be God. All right? He was jealous that God had the power to create, and he didn't. And so how did he fall from heaven? Actually, the word fall is probably not an accurate description. It would far, be far more accurate to say that God, here it is, cast Satan, or Lucifer, out of heaven. After the five I wills of Lucifer in Isaiah 14, verse 15 says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Going back to Ezekiel, verse 28, 16. In the abundance, of, this is the ESV translation. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you, I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart, verse 17, was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before the kings to feast their eyes on you. And so I submit to us tonight as we get going here that Satan did not fall from heaven. Rather, Satan was pushed by God from heaven. He was cast out of heaven. So that all being said, then um, a man told his friend, I don't believe there is a devil. His friend replied, then who do you think is responsible for all his work on earth? <laughs> and there's a lot of the devil's work on earth. Now consider what the Bible says about the devil. He is called Satan over 50 times in scripture. Uh, the name Satan means accuser or enemy. We're going to talk about that tonight, the accuser of the brethren. He is called the devil 35 times in the Old Testament and four times in the New. The, word, the name devil means uh, slanderer or liar. Jesus said he is the father of lies. He is the evil one from whom God delivers us. He is the one who tempted Jesus in the desert, but he failed. He is the one Jesus saw fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, he is the one who comes, as Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. All right? Uh, he is the prince of this world. Uh, Jesus drove out uh, on Calvary. He is the God of this age who blinds the, the eyes, the spiritual eyes of unbelievers. He is the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now is at work in those who are disobedient. Uh, the devil is at work in those who disobey God. You're either for God or you're not. I mean, you're for God or you're for the devil, basically, what it comes down to. And I, I remember years ago, I was doing a study on spiritual warfare, and one of the comments I made that came to, back to me today as I was studying is, it's all a person has to do to be used of the devil is to do what comes naturally. To do what your flesh wants. All right? And, uh, and so um, the spirit who is not working, those who are disobedient, he is an angel of light who deceives people. He is the enemy of believers. He is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, Peter tells us. He is the one who tempts us but flees when we resist him. He is the one who is less than the one who is in us. Greater is Christ in us than he was in the world. Uh, he is the one we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony in that we did not love our lives as our own. Tonight's chapter, verse 11. 
He is the one who will be thrown into the lake of fire with all his followers. So, that all being said, look at your outline. We're going to talk about the characteristics of the dragon. I'm going to read chapter 12 to you. We'll talk about the characteristics of the dragon. Uh, and we'll talk about then the characteristics of the woman and the woman's children. And then that of overcomers. Uh, a, a notation in my study Bible, the Fire Bible for most of you, mine's the old, older version called the Full Life Study Bible. There's a, the newer version. The newest version is the Fire Bible. There's one in between called Life in the Spirit Bible. It's all one and the same. I mean, the notations from Don Stamps, who was a missionary to Brazil years ago. But there's a notation there underneath chapter 12, verse 1. It talks about four great conflicts between God and Satan. And, and I just, I wrote them, what I'll do is I'll write things on my notes that are in my Bible notes. But uh, first, first conflict is Satan's conflict with Christ and his work of redemption. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 12, we have Satan, number two, Satan's conflict with the faithful of Israel, verses 6 and 13 through 16. With the third battle going on, the third conflict is Satan's conflict uh, with, with heaven, verses 7 through 9. And then Satan's conflict with believers or Christ's followers, verses 10, 11, and 17. Now, let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 12. I'll read from the NIV Bible. Um, and reading through verse 17 in the NIV, some, some actual Bibles have verse 8. How many have a verse 18 in your Bible? If you do, it's a different translation. Uh, anyone have a verse 18? I'll get to that in a little bit because the last part or the first part of, of chapter 13, it, it's all, I think it's tied in into ver, uh, chapter 12. But keep in mind, uh, when John was writing this, there were no chapters. And so 11 goes into 12, 12 goes into 13 as one vision, one letter. Always keep in mind, though, that John jumps around from, the, you know, from Old Testament times to the end of the tribulation from heaven to earth, and, and he's all over the place of visions and seeing different things and time frames. And so, uh, once again, we, we think in a holistic uh, way, uh, an Eastern mindset versus a Western mindset, which is linear. So, uh, chapter 12, uh, that we, as we know it. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars. Remember, stars in the Bible can refer to angels. Uh, a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. In other words, the war 
is said to be provoked by Michael, not by Satan. Uh, but he was not strong enough, and they had lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens and all who live in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. Remember, a time is one year, times, two years, half a time, half a year. So, once again, in biblical language, even Old Testament language, a time, times, and half a time is three and a half years, which is consistent then with Dan chapter 9, talking about the 1,260 days. Um, so for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening up its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon has spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her seed or her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then some translations put, and part of verse 1 of chapter 13, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Uh, that's the NIV. Other translations, King James, I think ESV, I looked at a bunch of them today, but it's, it's John speaking, and it's, and it's interpreted, or it, you know, and it should say, and, and I stood on the shore of the sea, speaking of I being John, is, a, is another translation. So my Bible has dragon, yours might have I. How many has I in your Bible? Yours does? What, what translation? King James? New King James? What's that? Yeah, but what, what translation? The King James or it's not NIV. It's New King James. Okay. Uh, anyone have the ESV Bible? What does that say? Dragon. Okay. What do you have? The what? I can't hear. Home. Is that home? Okay. The what? I can't. Still can't. You like the ESV? Yeah. I, I, ESV is one of the most accurate translations that that's available uh, i think the new american standard says dragon um what's that he he stood on the shore okay he okay so there is a little discrepancy there um and i put i wrote in my bible i underlined the word dragon and put i stood in parentheses i put john 
He too, he stood, speaking then, and he stood on the shore of the sea, which in context, if you go into chapter 13, once again, there are no chapters, but if you continue on, John's still talking, and I saw coming out of the sea. And so basically, it fits uh, more John than it does the dragon, um, but that's just a, a variation of, of translations and different ancient manuscript interpretations. That all being said, let's look at the characteristics of the dragon. Uh, re recall that John is, is really tells us about two wars. There's a war in heaven and a war on earth, Revelation 12, 7 and verse 17. The war in heaven is between God and Satan. The war on earth is between Satan and believers. Uh, why does Satan want to make war against believers? Uh, because the dragon hates God and hates God followers, period. Satan hates God. Satan hates those who serve God. And, and so we're going to understand that better, honestly, when we understand the dragon, the woman, her son, and then his followers. So first of all, characteristics of the dragon, I listed five of them for you. Number one, or letter A, uh, Revelation 12 mentions many characteristics of the dragon. Of these, we're going to focus on five. A, he desires to devour Christ and his followers. Uh, look at verse 4 again. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Now, we're going to study more about the woman and her son later uh, through King Herod. Satan tried, you recall, Satan tried to destroy Jesus at birth. Matthew 2, uh, verse 13. Likewise, the dragon destroys, uh, desires to destroy the followers of Christ, verse 17 of Revelation 12. So you call that Satan desired to sift Peter like wheat. Uh, our enemy roams about as a roaring lion looking for people to devour or destroy. It is his nature, as I told you, to steal, kill, and destroy. And so knowing that Satan desires to destroy followers of Christ, how can believers, how can followers of Christ then be on guard? Because we need to be on guard. We are engaged in a spiritual battle, in a spiritual warfare. And so how can Christ's followers be on guard against the devil? Open a question. What's that? Knowing of his tactics, okay? Knowing the word of God, because I would dare say that Satan knows the word better than every one of us here tonight, maybe combined, right? Mm -hmm. Same as in the Garden of Eden when he deceived uh, Adam and Eve. Um, there, he, he presents an element of truth, so knowing the word in its entirety, all right? Uh, yes, Karen. Submit to God, resist the devil, sub resist, submit, submit, yeah, so, and he'll flee from you, okay? Uh, we, we, as followers of Christ, always need to be on the alert uh, because he is a, he goes about as a roaring lion, okay, uh, seeking whom he may devour. Um, I occasionally will watch, at least probably once a week, um, maybe twice a week, nature videos of, of different parts. It just comes up in the Facebook feed, and I like watching uh, lions and elephants and rhinos and different things. And, and nature can be brutal, 
right? Uh, as far as them, you know, and one of the things I remember from a, from a missionary years ago that was here, uh, Ken, Ken Meckel, Ken and Trudy Meckel, uh, missionaries out of Iowa, but we had them early 2000s here. Uh, and uh, he talked about the roaring lion, how the lion would, in Africa, stay up all night just roaring, just, just trying to intimidate their prey. Well, you have the gazelle that's kind of like, you know, shaking, whatever. It's like, okay, I'm trying to get my sleep here. I'm paraphrasing. But, but basically, by the roar, he would tire out the, the prey. And then morning comes, and he's been roaring all night and doing what he's been doing, but then the attack becomes easier for him. But I've also seen prides of lions um, attacking like a Cape Buffalo, and then the other Cape Buffalo come on to his defense, and they have some pretty good horns, and I've seen lions get, get gored by, by the Cape Buffalo horns as well. So I like watching that kind of thing. Um, if there's one thing I don't like and never want to face is these big, these, what are these big snakes called, these anacondas? Is that pythons, pythons, that's what they are. And, and those things, man, I'm just... I just don't like those guys. <laughs> I've never seen one up close and personal, but uh, it's like they can get huge. And, and like all the way across the road when they cross you know, from one side to the other and, and everything else, but I've also seen them uh, in these videos like swallow these animals and it's like, wow. You know, they, and, and just to have them wrap themselves around a person and squeeze, no, thank you. I never want to experience that. All right. Anyway, so Satan, a roaring lion. We have to be vigilant. We have to be alert. We have to know the word. We have to continue to submit to God. Always keep in mind, though, and when dealing with the devil, God has not given us a spirit of fear. All right. And so we have not been given the spirit of fear. The Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, what we will we will uh, submit to God and our attitude. Even, even uh, toward God needs to be submission, constant submission. But basically, once again, characteristics of the dragon, he, des he desires to devour, to destroy uh, Christ and his followers. Um, B, he is the pattern for evil uh, on earth. In Revelation 12, 3, John describes a red dragon. He says it has seven heads and ten horns. Later, John tells us the dragon is Satan. So we know that from Scripture, for Scripture interprets Scripture. In Revelation 12, 9, so the red dragon in Revelation 12 is Satan. Uh, notice that the beast of Revelation 13, 1 also has seven heads and ten horns. The dragon and the beast look alike, which existed first, the dragon or the beast. Well, clearly the devil existed long before the beast. Now, the seven heads of Satan and the seven heads of the beast, and this is kind of getting into next week a little bit, but they have different meanings. Seven, as we know, is the number of completeness. The seven heads of the dragon represent com the completion of evil, rebellion, uh, cunning, craftiness. But the seven heads of the beast represent seven evil kings. Revelation 17, 9 through 10 talks about that. The ten horns of the dragon show he is powerful. The ten horns of the beast represent ten powerful kings. Now, how did Satan create this beast on earth that is like him? I mean, how does Satan make a beast? Basically, it takes time. All right, the beast on earth has seven heads. Each one of these heads is an evil king. How does Satan shape a king into becoming evil? Uh, Little by little, 
very little by little. The devil starts with a child who will cooperate. Uh, Satan and the child work together. The child gets things he wants. The child makes evil choices. He becomes the man that the devil wants. Uh, the more here, here it is. The more people practice evil, the more evil they become. I want you to get that. Uh, because sin hardens. Sin hardens. Uh, in the beginning, there was only room in Judas's heart for a small sin. He stole a few coins from the bag, but as he practiced sinning, he was able to sin more. In the end, Satan himself could fit in Judas's heart. See, as we've heard before, sin will take people further than they want to go. It'll cost them more than they want to pay and keep them longer than they want to stay. Uh, give the devil an inch and he will take a mile every time. All right, so little by little, uh, Satan, the devil, the dragon is able to then uh, uh, make people into the people he wants them to be. Uh, for the tribulation beast, uh, he needs seven Roman rulers and ten kings, but a beast is more than its leader. Each king, you recall, needs a wife. All the kings need generals and soldiers who will obey. Think about it this way. Uh, Adolf Hitler was only a man without all the evil people who helped him. Yet together, evil people became a great beast of their generation. So it wasn't just Hitler, but all his cohorts, all right, all his, his, uh, his people that he had underneath him that bought into the lie. See, evil, or each evil person that, the, that he uses becomes part of the beast. Satan himself is a pattern for evil for the beast. And so... Um, when, when John saw the completed beast on earth that looked like the devil himself, you see, what Satan is, the beast becomes. And so today, each person, honestly, is either becoming more like God or more like Satan. We're moving forward, becoming more like him or more like the enemy, all right? John writes about this theme. He teaches that we become like the one that we submit to, and so... As if a person submits to the devil, they become more and more like him. Um, so others submit to God and become more and more like God. So John really contrasts here those who become more and more like, like God and others who become like Satan. And then he says in 1 John 3, 7 and 8, uh, He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so the devil, Satan, all right, the dragon is the pattern for evil on earth. See, he is not strong enough. And this is what I love. The devil is powerful, but he's not all powerful. All right. He might be mighty, but he's not the almighty. All right. Uh, he is not powerful enough to win the war against God almighty. His days are numbered. Now, there are four stages or steps down for, state, for Satan. The first step down was a long step. Satan fell from the highest level of heaven. Once again, I, I refer to Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Uh, it probably describes both the king of Babylon and the fall of Satan. It has a dual meaning there. But Jesus saw, you recall, in Luke 10, 18, Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Remember I said he was pushed. He was cast out. Uh, when was that? It seems to have taken place before God created Adam and Eve. And still from time to time, Satan comes in the presence of God. First step. Second step, 
uh, downward for Satan, uh, is, be, is, is be from the lower heavens to earth. Paul mentions the highest or the third level of the heaven, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Uh, the devil now rules in the clouds or heavens above the earth. These are between the highest heaven and earth. Thus Satan is called the prince of the air. He will take the second step when Michael and his angels defeat him. Once again, Daniel 12.1 as well as Revelation 12.7 and 8. The, the name Michael means who is like God. And I put this on Facebook on Monday when I was studying this. Consider the irony of the second step down. Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High, Isaiah 14.14. 14. Later, he is defeated by an angel who is like God. I love that. I just love that. There is no one like God. There is no one as powerful as God. That's why I said at the beginning, who would want to follow someone who didn't have enough sense to stay where he was placed to begin with? I mean, wow, you know, so um, later he's defeated by, by Michael. And so neither Caesar nor the Antichrist nor Satan is like Almighty God. The third step down from earth is from earth to the abyss. An angel slams the devil into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, Revelation 20, 1 through 3. After this, he takes one step up. He's set free for a short time. We'll get into that again today. I read from chapter 12 all the way through 22 again. It's just kind of fun putting everything in context. And the more you read, the more you understand, the more blessed you are because you've read these things. And so third step. And then the fourth step and final step down for Satan is from the earth to the lake of fire burn, or burning sulfur, Revelation 20.10 and verse 14. Uh, when sulfur burns, it smells like what? Rotten eggs. It stinks. You ever been to uh, Yellowstone and the geysers and such? And you're walking through that and you can almost hardly stand the smell. I've been there once, but I, remember, I still remember the smells, the sulfur smells and so... Uh, so it smells like rotten eggs. The lake of burning sulfur will be the permanent home of Satan, the beast, and the false prophet, and all who do not overcome. All right? C. D. He is the accuser of believers. In the Hebrew language, the word Satan means accuser and enemy. Revelation 12.10 says Satan is the accuser of believers. When does he accuse us? Before our God. How often? Day and night. Day and night. Did you hear what the verse says? Satan, the accuser, is constantly accusing believers day and night. He is our great enemy. Now, what does, of what does Satan accuse us? Well, sometimes he lies as he did for Job. You recall, first the accuser said Job only feared God because of all the blessings that he had. Job chapter 1, 6 through 11. Well, God gave you a call. God gave Satan permission to strike all Job had. Notice that Satan pushed this permission to the furthest possible boundaries. The devil destroyed what Job had, including his children and animals. Still, Job did not sin. Thus, he proved that Satan's accusation against him was false. Second, the accuser accused Job of only serving God because of good health. Then God allowed Satan to take Job's health, but not his life. Job remained faithful and did not curse God. He proved that Satan was also lying in the second accusation. So we see Satan there accusing, accusing God for, for, for Job twice. 
And so he is an accuser of the brethren. Day and night, day and night, he is lying. God, did you know what Brian did? God, did you see Brian do that? Did you? And, and so we have that, that, that idea, that story. Um, and I'll get to that in a little bit too. But uh, E, he leads others to hell. Satan is not willing to go to hell alone. He takes both angels and humans with him. Revelation 12, 4, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The Bible, as I said, sometimes refers to, to stars as angels, as angels to stars. Um, Revelation 12, 7 refers to the devil and his angels. It appears that a third of the angels joined Satan in rebellion. Once again, how, how did he go about that? We don't know for sure. But evidently, he's such a good deceiver and liar that he convinced them to join him in his rebellion against God. All right? And so, um, but even, even you know all that, also keep in mind that Satan and his fallen angels are still outnumbered two to one. All right? And so, good news for us. Uh, besides leading angels astray, Satan deceives humans. He started with Eve. Revelation 12, 9 says, Satan leads the whole world astray. And then evil always seeks company. Um, you'll recall the, the Pharisees would not enter into the kingdom of heaven. This was bad enough, but they also prevented others from entering in as well. That's, that's the enemy, all right? Uh, no one goes to heaven or hell alone. Each sinner influences others to sin. Herodias did not travel alone. She took her daughter, Salome, with her to hell. The decisions of men and angels affect others for better, for worse. Now, we have the characteristics of the dragon. Secondly, the characteristics of the woman and the woman's children. Uh, Bible teachers differ, uh, have differing opinions as to who the woman is. Some commentators will say, well, the woman is the church. Um, this seems unlikely for at least four reasons. Number one, the church did not, did not give birth to the Messiah. The Messiah, Jesus, gave birth to the church. He was going to build his church, okay? Number two, in the rest of Scripture, the church is never referred to as a pregnant woman. She is compared to a virgin bride who will soon be married to Christ. Number two. Number three, we believe the church is raptured to heaven. This is in great contrast with receiving wings to fly in the desert. Uh, there are no deserts in heaven that we're told about. Okay, three. Fourthly, the woman is protected. Uh, she is out of the serpent's reach, Revelation 12, 14. In contrast, many saints or even members of the church uh, are not protected from the dragon, Revelation 12, 17. The dragon even conquers some saints, Revelation 13, next week, as we get into that, uh, verses 7 through 10. If the woman were the whole church, she could not be both protected and unprotected. And so, therefore, we conclude that the woman in Revelation 12 is not the church. Now, if the woman is not the church in Revelation 12, then who is she? There are several reasons why we believe the woman refers to the faithful remnant of Israel. Now, characteristics of the woman. Number one, the description of the woman suggests she is Israel. Revelation 12.1, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with a crown of 12 stars on her head. Three things about this verse remind us of the nation of Israel. Number one, Israel is often compared to a woman. 
We have in Isaiah 54, Jeremiah chapter 3, Hosea chapter 3, and Galatians chapter 4. Number two, Joseph had a vision of the sun, moon, and stars in Genesis 37, verse 9. The sun, moon, the sun and the moon represented Jacob and Leah. The stars represented his brothers. Together, the sun, moon, and stars represented the young nation of Israel, and they bowed down, you recall, to Joseph. Even in John's vision here in Revelation 12, uh, in John's vision, the 12 stars probably represent the 12 tribes of Israel. The sun represents the glory of the Messiah, the glory of Israel. The moon under the woman's feet suggests that she is over things with lesser glory. The moon, lesser glory than the sun. Uh, these could include the law, the temple, and the promises. Thirdly, the woman was pregnant had birth pains and gave birth to the Messiah, Revelation 12, 2 and 5. Jesus was a Jew, thus his national mother is Israel. So for these three reasons, we suggest that the woman in Revelation 12 is the faithful nation of Israel. All right, number two, the woman is protected by God for 1,260 days. Once again, a time, times, and half. All right, and so we have that being the three and a half years. It says in Revelation 12, 6 and 13 and 14, the woman fled into the desert to, to the, into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days, three and a half years. When the woman saw that it had been hurled to the earth, when the dragon saw that it had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Um, comparing Revelation 12.6 with uh, 12.14 shows us that the 1,260 days equal then the a time, times and half a time. Also Daniel 12 verse 7. Recall that 1,260 days is three and a half Jewish years, a Jewish year consisting of 12 30-day periods, or, or 360 days. Um, God's going to protect the faithful Jews during the Great Tribulation. The 144,000 and this sun-clothed woman illustrate, simply illustrates God's protection. And yet, this also seems to be a time, according to most commentators, a time of Jacob's trouble that we can read about in Zechariah 13, verse 8. It appears that the two-thirds of the Jews may die during the tribulation period. Also, Daniel 7, 25. Now, what do the two wings of a great eagle represent? Uh, they remind us of how God delivered Israel from Egypt. Exodus 19, 14 says... He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Uh, the wings represent in God's help and God's protection during the tribulation. Uh, some people will say, well, the eagle represents America and this and that. Uh, no, it doesn't. America is never talked about in this book, just to clarify that, all right? Um, and so, notice also the woman flees into the desert. Some think, this is interesting. Some think Israel will flee to Petra, the present capital of Edom. 
E-D-O-M. It is near the country of Jordan. This is the strongest fortress in the world. And, and I have a couple commentators talking about this. It is located between steep mountains and twisted canyons. No kind of vehicle can drive in this area. I saw some pictures online of this area. Some, it's interesting. Some believers have already put Bibles and food there for the Jews, knowing what's going to happen. Don't know if that's the place where God's going to take them supernaturally or not. We don't know that, but, you know, we're not sure of that. Of that. But uh, it, it's, you know, the location, I guess, is not that important. The important thing is to realize that God protects His people in difficult times. Sometimes He protects them spiritually or physically, not all, because some will die, all right? But all He protects spiritually. Uh, what happens during this time is the dragon, uh, Satan, sends a flood of water after the woman. The word flood in the Bible represents trouble, but the earth swallows up the water. The earth, you recall, swallowed up Korah and those who came against Moses. The Red Sea swallowed Pharaoh's army that pursued Israel. Perhaps the earth will swallow the armies of the Antichrist that pursue the woman. Is it literal water? We don't know. When it does rain in the desert, and when the desert is inundated with a lot of water, the desert can flood, as we know now, right? Our roads being closed down or whatever. And so that is a possibility. You know, could it be an army? You know, we don't know that for sure. Um, I think one of the commentators I read from the Complete Biblical Library set that I have all the notes here for, but I won't look at them because of my time, but it talked about how, how um, if it is water, this, you know, God, God's able to supernaturally, as he did of old, to suck it all down so they don't get destroyed. If it's an army, God's able to you know, deliver them or whatever. Um, but basically, God's on his throne. God's in charge. And whatever the enemy tries to do to, to destroy Israel, uh, God's hands upon them is what I'm saying. All right, and so we go on to B, comments on the woman's children. Um, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, Revelation 12, 5. Uh, this verse mentions uh, three important things about Christ. First of all, he was born as a human. I know it's an old truth to us, but we should be reminded time, time to time and, and say, you know, God, thank you for taking my place on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming one of us, all right? And second, Revelation 12, 5 says the male child was snatched up to heaven. The Greek word for snatched up is harpazo. It means raptured. It's the same word for rapture that's used of the church in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, the catching away, being caught up. Uh, after his ministry, Jesus was caught up to heaven from the dragon. Likewise, the, after the church's ministry, she will be raptured to Christ away from the dragon. Thirdly, this verse says that Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron. It's a quote from Psalm 2, verse 9, where it says, You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Iron smashes pottery. And so likewise, Jesus will smash nations and people who rebel against him. John emphasizes this thought three times, Revelation 2, 12, and 19. Uh, Jesus promises believers that he will rule the nations. He will rule the nations. Notice also the gap between when the Son is caught up and when he rules. 
the gap is about 2,000 years. Uh, very common in prophecy. The prophets often did not speak about the gaps of time in biblical, between biblical events. John did not mention, for example, the gap of a thousand years between the events of Revelation 11:18. This reminds us once again to focus on the bigger picture of things and not necessarily trying to get the timing all figured out. Once again, uh, holistic thinking versus linear thinking, Eastern, Mid-Eastern thinking versus Western uh, thinking. Uh, Number one. Number two, the woman has other children besides the male child. Now, then the dragon was enraged, it says in verse 17, uh, at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring or the seed of her offspring. Those, it says, who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, who are the rest of the woman's children or offspring? Are they only Jews? Well, no, there is, a, there is a sense in which Israel is the mother of all believers. Israel gave birth to our Savior who was a Jew. All the 12 apostles were Jews. The early church started uh, in Jerusalem and was mostly a Jewish church. And with that being said, we have been, as believers today, grafted in uh, into uh, Jewish roots. Uh, Abraham, the father of all Jews, is the father of us as well. And so followers of Jesus are referred to as Jews. Uh, the rest of the woman's children or offspring may include all believers during the tribulation. Thus, both the Messiah and all true believers have faithful Israel as a mother. God protects the woman from the dragon. He enables the woman's children to overcome the dragon. And so we have the characteristics of the woman and her children. And then we'll close tonight, and i got two minutes to do so, with the characteristics of overcomers. And this is from Revelation 12, verse 11, where it says, they, and this is often taken out of context, but they overcame him, the Satan, the adversary, the devil. How? That it says, by, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, that they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. So three things there. A, they depend on the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, not themselves. I think the key to overcoming the accuser and his accusations is the blood. You know, Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. We depend on the blood. We proclaim the victory of the blood. You know, John, 1 John 7, uh, 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Uh, we can go on and on and on and talk about that, but basically uh, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are the greatest defeats of Satan. Always, always, always remember that. The cross and the blood. The blood and the the cross and the resurrection. The cross, the blood, the blood of Christ. And so I like this little story. Martin Luther is lying in bed during a a serious sickness. Satan visited him. The accuser smiled and carried a large, heavy scroll. The devil let the scroll unroll. It reached to the floor, and it stayed open without any help. It was a list of all the sins Martin Luther had done. Luther's eyes read the accusations one by one. Then a thought from heaven entered his fevered head. These are all true. But you have forgotten one thing, said Luther. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all my sin. 
At once the accuser rolled up his heavy scroll. He fled from Luther's presence. Luther overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And so the accusations, remember he is the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. All right. So A, they depend on the blood. B, they continue to publicly confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If we're ashamed of him here, he'll be ashamed of us there. If we don't confess him as Lord and Savior here, he won't confess us as his children before his Father in heaven. All right, we need to continue with boldness, confess and proclaim uh, that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. The Bible says, whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. And so we have that. And finally, see, they would rather die than deny the Lamb. Most people, well, we overcome Satan by the blood. True. We overcome him by the word of our testimony. True. Thirdly, see, they overcame him in that they did not love their lives as their own. In other words, we're willing to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ when called upon. I would rather die. So it is a, it is a, a, a commitment to count the cost of what it's going to be to serve Christ. And so my question for us is this. Would you be a Christian if you knew it would cost you your life? Yes, because you know where you're going. Would you be a Christian if you knew it would cost you your life? You see, in life or death, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Also keep in mind that a servant is not above his master. And so when called upon, we need to, we, me, you, we need to say, Lord, my life belongs to, to you and you have a right to do in my life, through my life, whatever you want. If that means dying a martyr's death, so be it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my martyrs. The word for witness is in the Greek is the word martyr. You shall be my martyrs. Laying down our lives. Why? Because my life doesn't belong to him. All right? And so, once again, the Christian life is like a race. And the finish line is death. So believers win and overcome. I close with this. As we do three things. Number one, we depend on the blood of the Lamb and not ourselves. Number two, we hold fast to our public confession that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And number three, we bravely love Him more than we love life. Lord, help us to have that as our testimony in your name. All right, so laying out some characters here, some battles going on. We're going to continue on with the battles, things going on in Revelation uh, really 13, 12 through, through 18, first part of 19, and uh, we have a lot more to discuss here. We're laying kind of the foundation of what's going on there. So reread chapter 12 for next week, read chapter 13. Also, Daniel 2 and 7 and 8, I believe I said. Yeah, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 and 8 next week, next two weeks. We'll get into that. So hope you got something out of this. God bless you all. Have a great evening in the Lord. God bless you.